Hey, I'm Steve Holland. Welcome to another one. This episode is supported by Gold Stack Accounts. They get what it's like to be self-employed, be it tax returns, ongoing support, becoming limited or eating lots of biscuits. They love to help freelancers get their finances sorted, myself included. Set up a free chat today at goldstackaccounts.com slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for graphic designer Christian Tate. I've always struggled quite a lot with self-confidence in terms of work. Even though I've got that 18 years experience and now it's something stupid like 24 years experience. Even now I'm still a bit like, ooh, am I good enough? Ooh, I wonder if I like it or are they going to hate it? My lovely wife downstairs, she is an illustrator. So I've been running this business for seven years and she's run her business for longer than that. So it's kind of running, running joke. People always say, oh, well, you know, so you must collaborate together all the time. And we're like, nope, not yet. <laughs> so every Friday I volunteer at a local nature reserve. So it's basically a day of being outdoors. There's an element of teamwork. And also you come back and your, your whole body is aching. It's really enjoyable. And it works really well as a mindfulness day. Yeah, so that is Christian, based near Bristol. I don't think he's from Bristol originally, but he ended up studying there, got a degree. Anyway, the story will continue in a moment. Really excited to chat to him. Christian's a member of the Being Freelance community. It would be lovely to see you in there as well. Go to beingfreelance.com, click on community, come find freelancers from around the world, particularly at the crazy time that we find ourselves in. If you're listening to this, it goes out. I'm Yes, another one where I'm sitting in the garden, interrupted by cats and birds and neighbours and cars. Seriously, you're not alone being freelance. You're not alone going through this. Please come and join us. It's easy to do. The community link is at beingfreelance.com and I will see you in there. Also, as you may have heard, got a new sponsor for the podcast. I want to say a big thank you to Martin at Gold Stag Accounts. I'm not going to lie. He is my accountant, <laughs> but he's uh, an accountant to loads of freelancers and that's what I love about him is the fact that he is self-employed he gets what it's like to be freelance uh, I, I used to have like a, a very different style of accounting and it was something I always feared and put off and now I actually enjoy doing it and feel in control of it all and that's totally down to him uh, and he's not even paying me to say that bit so yeah when he heard that nobody was sponsoring the podcast right now he stepped in and said yes please so Martin thank you uh, check out goldstagaccounts.com slash being freelance also if you want to support what I do with being freelance you can do you can go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee and buy me coffee and biscuits or tea and biscuits uh, either as a one-off donation or a monthly one for, for, for what you get from the podcast but seriously I know times are tight I know it's weird right now and I don't expect it for those who do I do of course really appreciate it if you just want to do me a favour you can leave a review and share this with the people that you know online or in person if you're allowed ever to see them again then that would be great as well right should we crack on I feel like we should let's chat to this week's guest that is freelance graphic designer Christian Tate hey Christian hey Steve how are you I'm well so I mentioned just now you started to be a graphic designer you end up in Bristol but like what happened next as ever you know let's start hearing how you got started being freelance yeah sure so graduated in 1995 I think that's a long time ago now isn't it <laughs> Blimey. um and then managed to get a job in the September at a, it wasn't a design agency, it was kind of like a reprographic sort of house. So they did 
they printed out, you know, sort of large exhibition banners and posters and things like that. Um, but they also had a, a small sort of design department. I basically managed to sort of cling on there for about three and a half years and do, you know, general design work, brand identities, you know, a lot of the exhibition panel type design that they were printing out. And then it just rolled from there, really. I was basically worked in design agencies in Bristol for ah, 18 years or so before setting up this business. 18 years, that's a hefty amount of time yeah, to spend in, different, <laughs> in agencies. Yeah. So, like, were you always doing? Did you end up managing things? Like, were you uh, dealing with clients? Like, how... how how did your career evolve even at that point within agencies? Well, I, I guess I always stuck to the doing. I mean, I did go out and present some of the work, you know, when I got to a, a more senior level. Um, so I'd go out with an account manager or account director and present work to a client or take a brief or something. But not very often, to be honest. It was more, you know, at the coalface doing the design, which is kind of, you know, what I prefer... I mean, I did actually go freelance a couple of times within that 18 years. It was only ever for a year or two, but I did the kind of thing where I was, you know, Christian Tate, freelance designer, and I basically just go into other agencies. Agencies would book me for like a week or two or whatever, and I'd just sit in a corner and have work thrown at me. And, you know, you don't often get the best work freelancing like that. You kind of, you know, you get the the work that the studio can't be bothered to do or there's some ridiculous deadline that they've got you know so they say oh shit okay let's get a freelancer in to to sort that out kind of thing so you'd never get the best work but I always ended up yeah being suckered back into a full-time job really because of money or because of creativity I guess. So did you like being freelance at that point? I mean two, two years is quite a chunk of time. Yeah I mean I probably did it twice so I did a chunk of about two years and then I did a chunk of maybe I think the last sort of chunk of that was actually only about six months or something um I I like the freedom of it I like the work in different places meeting different people yeah I guess the control of kind of running your own thing and that's probably where the spark of my business now came I like that oh you know doing your own thing and in charge of your own destiny but I didn't particularly like the work side of it so as I say you know, you get sat in a corner, you get given the work that nobody else really wants to do or can't be bothered. You know, you're amending other people's designs, doing a lot of artwork, which is just preparing stuff for print and all that kind of thing. So it's it's all valid experience, but it's not it's not that enjoyable, yeah. I would say. So. so eventually you decide to go freelance again, but this time it's going to be different. Yes. So it was the kind of right... I'm going to do it proper now. (laughs) What made it different that time around? During those couple of freelance times, I had, you know, I got a few bits of own client work, just little odds and sods of, you know, friends of friends and kind of thing. And I knew that I enjoyed that the most. So I kind of said to myself, right, I'm going to do that next time. So that was when I sort of started the business up, gave it a proper name, made it a limited company and thought, right, let's just approach this properly. And then obviously when I started this business in 2013, there was handy things like, you know, social media. So I started up a proper business Twitter account and all that sort of thing. 
and and to be honest, at the start, I still had to do a bit of that jobbing designer stuff. I had to go into agencies and uh, do a bit of that sort of work just to get some initial money, pay the mortgage, little things like that. But eventually, I managed to sort of squeeze that out and get more of the own client work in. And probably for about, about the past four or five years, it, it's been just own client work. So none of the going into agencies and that kind of thing. So uh, You decide to go with a business name and become a limited company. And so was that all like a mindset mm. thing or the way that you would appear to, like, would you try to appear like the agencies that you had been in before? Like, what was your take on it? I wanted to appear bigger than I was to try and get my own clients. I never had any intention of growing it in terms of a business with employees and stuff and, and still have no intention of that. You know, it's always going to be just me. But I wanted to appear bigger from the outside. So even on the website at the time, I mean, I've kind of changed it in the past few years, actually. But, I, you know, I talked about we do this and we do that and we can help you do this and that. And not really hiding it from people, you know. I was always honest with people if we had a conversation. I said, you know, it's just me, etc., etc. But almost to try and get that, get those own client gigs in. And it was definitely wanted it in terms of a business name because it had always annoyed me slightly in the past where I think people assumed you were small because you were just called, you know, Christian Tate, freelance mm. designer. They kind of thought, uh, you probably can't take on this big brand identity job kind of thing. So, And do you think it changed the way that you put like did it change anything inside you um it's a deep question it is a very deep question i don't think it did fair enough <laughs> no i'm just trying to think no to be honest i you know like a lot of creatives i've always struggled quite a lot with self-confidence in terms of you know work even though I've got that 18 years experience and now it's something stupid like 24 years experience or something, even now because it's creative work, I'm still a bit like, oh, am I good enough? Oh, I wonder if they like it. Oh, are they going to hate it? Oh, I don't want to send it over in case they don't like it. You know, that kind of thing. But I knew that I had a portfolio to back me up so I could so almost let the work speak for itself. So it's kind of like, even though I don't feel massively confident maybe going into this meeting with this new client I know that on my iPad or laptop or whatever I can show them all this work and it is gonna blow them away and they're gonna love it but deep down I'll be thinking oh crikey I wonder if it's terrible and so how, how did you go about finding those clients of your own really it's either word of mouth or it's social media so you know so when I went freelance in the past you know it's kind of like before Twitter can you imagine you know (laughs) it was really difficult because you'd have to phone people and email them or write them a letter that kind of thing but the social media stuff made it so much easier but it's kind of a slow burn so I do it by building relationships with people on Twitter so I'd kind of seek out freelance marketing managers maybe who I know are going to be sort of jobbing around different companies doing their marketing skills and then their marketing plan might suggest that company X needs a new website or a new brochure or that kind of thing. So it's building relationships on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram with people. So it might not happen straight away. I remember one marketing guy, you know, we had a chat on Twitter a few times, direct messaging, found out he lived in Bristol let's meet for a coffee you know this kind of went on for six months and then eventually 
he sort of emails and said, oh, I'm working in this technology company at the moment and they need a folder and a brochure and some pull-up exhibition stands and, you know, can you do a quote for that kind of thing. And so it was the, it's building relationships with people really. And then once you've done enough work as this business, Creative Cadence, then the word of mouth referrals start to work, you know, and I always get a testimonial off a client when I've finished a project with them and that goes on the website and it goes on LinkedIn and so it's it's gradual stuff like that rather than the hard sell kind of approach. But you always ask for testimonial as well. Like do you have a process for that? Yeah, so I always ask for the testimonial on LinkedIn, so via their sort of recommendation thing. Yeah. So I ask for a recommendation and then when I ask for it, I say, you know, this will obviously appear on LinkedIn, but can I also have permission to put it on my website and maybe use it on social media? Every client always says, yeah, you know, use it where you like. So I put it on the website and then, you know, I often, if it's a short one, I often put it on a, a little graphic on Instagram and, you know, put it through there as well. So one testimonial, but squeeze the heck out of it, honestly. <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot I want to ask about your website. Mm. One yeah, so okay, you have like client stories, so, so I guess those are like case study type yeah. type things about me. You know, all of these things quite usual. But then we have working process FAQs, guide costs under this tab called useful. As I look at it here in twenty twenty, so how um, have you always had those things on there? If not, like when when did you add them? Like what was uh, the thing behind that? It's like working process and guide costs. In, in particular have they made a difference as well i was just intrigued because there's often that thing about you know should i put my costs yeah. on the website that was actually one of the last things to go on there it, you know I, I sort of created it as a page and then it was kind of unpublished for <laughs> for probably about six months you know <laughs> sitting there kind of waving at me going come on come on you need to publish me because I'd had the idea of trying to put maybe packages on there that a lot of designers have. You know, it's like, oh, you know, get a logo and business cards and a letterhead for X amount. And I always really struggled with that because I found it really difficult to try and tie down what any costs should be. So that's why they ended up as, that's why I state them as guide costs. It's kind of, it could be this kind of thing. But it just gives, it kind of stops that awful question you get where the designers get, where people find them up and go, how much for a logo, mate? And you're like, ugh. So I just, <laughs> I just kind of point them to that and say, look, these are guide costs, but you may require something a bit more bespoke. Let's let's have a chat kind of thing. So, mm. You mentioned the fact that you don't want to like grow a team and stuff like that. But do you collaborate? Like, Is it just you or do you ever hire other people? So I work with a, a, a freelance web developer quite a lot, um, WordPress developer. So we, we work together on clients' websites. So I'll, sort of, you know, I'll do the design, he'll kind of do the build side, you know, because I'm not confident as a, as a website person to, you know, to build it for clients. I've built a few small, I've built a couple of small Squarespace sites for clients, um, but I kind of assess the complexity of it and then think, right, this is a proper WordPress job. Let's work with Andy on it. Um, yeah, so I collaborate with him, collaborate with copywriters. I would collaborate with photographers if clients ever had enough budget for photography. <laughs> but I'm not bitter about it. 
Yeah, so I do collaborate. And actually, my, my lovely wife downstairs, she is an illustrator. And it was always a running joke that we'd never collaborated together. So I've been running this business for seven years. And she's run her business for longer than that. So it's kind of a running, running joke. People always said, oh, well, you know, so you must collaborate together all the time. And we were like, nope, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then actually, this past year, we've collaborated on a couple of jobs, actually. So, yeah, that, that has, has changed. So that's been quite nice, actually. So Interesting. What's, like, what's your, your setup? Are you both working from home or do you have like a, do you go to an office? Like what's your... Yeah, both from home. So I, I used to rent a desk in a co-working space. So I used to rent a desk, cycle into town, which was only sort of 20 minutes bike ride or something. And she used to work at home. There wasn't enough room for us to both work at home at that point. But then we moved house a couple of years ago, managed to get a bigger house, which has got... Yeah, so we've got a dedicated office downstairs. Um, yeah, so we both sit in there and do our work. But I think I don't think she was that happy to start with, though. To be honest, because <laughs> because she'd had you know she'd had quite a number of years of just working yeah. for on, on her own at home, which you know she quite liked her own company. <laughs> I don't know, you know, she's lovely. I don't want to paint her as a miserable sort of loner. When no, I, I get it, yeah. You've you had know, like it's... 10 years of working in your own space at home and suddenly your husband rocks up. Yeah, so so I rock up and I'm kind of like, hey, Rumi, you know. It's... <laughs> <laughs> and the look on her face was like, mm, okay, well, we'll try this and see if it works. Because there was actually another spare room like across the hallway. It's not Buckingham Palace or anything, it's kind of... <laughs> And I was like, well, okay, if it doesn't work out, I can move over into that other room. But we have that as like the kids' sort of den kind of thing. But yeah, it's worked out. I think, yeah, we haven't fallen out, still married. It works fine. But I I mean, I found it a struggle, though, to be honest, because I I missed the commute and the going out and seeing other people, you know, because there'd be other people at the co-working space, obviously. So I do miss that sometimes. So I have to really force myself out. I mean, we're in a different situation at the moment, but I really have to force myself out every day to sort of go out and go for a walk or go into town just to buy some bit of nonsense that I don't need just for the sake of getting out of the house. Yeah, I find it difficult, but yeah, I think after two years, we've settled into it now. <laughs> do do you tend to like work, uh, you know, office hours or...? I do. I'm quite a stickler for that, actually. I mean, ordinarily, the kids leave for school about eight o'clock in the morning so they walk to school you know there's no school run because they just take themselves off now how old are they now uh 12 and 14 right so they just you know they disappear off walk themselves to school ordinarily and so i can sit down at the desk at like you know eight o'clock quarter past eight get on with some admin and stuff yeah so i'll start then but i'm better in the mornings you know people have different times of the day that they, they work better so I'm pretty good in the mornings but then by about half three four o'clock you know I'm sort of dead I'm kind of like uh, I could quite easily finish now but I do I do battle through till <laughs> half five six maybe but I try and do all the complicated stuff in the morning and then do other stuff in the afternoon basically so is that a cat the, the noisy cat has turned oh. up demanding i ask a question about whether or not you have any pets it's uh, just okay. it's not relevant no. well do you have any pets he won't gu- leave me alone voice. two guinea pigs do you yeah <laughs> two guinea pigs yeah no you can't eat them <laughs>
So, but no, I, I, yeah, I'm quite a stickler for just doing a work day. I mean, it, you know, it's never nine to five. You have to do stuff sometimes at the weekends, but I, yeah. I desperately try not to because I just, you know, I value the time with the kids and, and the hobbies and stuff too much, mm. really. Yeah. Although, don't you do something different with your Fridays? I do, yes. So this started about a year or so ago. So I volunteer at a local nature reserve. Yeah, so every Friday I, I sort of go up there and help the horticulture and grounds maintenance team just doing stuff outdoors. So it's basically a day of, you know, it's seven hours of being outdoors, clearing, tidying up, trimming, pruning, cutting trees down, getting covered in mud and driving tractors around sometimes as well, which is cool. And you do that every Friday? Yeah, I did. But yeah, I yeah. Well, uh, so, until the whole lockdown thing happened. Yeah. So how that started, so I did, so about two years ago, I did a course. It was a part-time course in like environment and countryside management. What? Just, just for the hell of it? Well, no. Well, this is tricky because I don't know if clients are going to listen to this. But basically, I wanted to come up with a plan B, if you like. So obviously graphic design at the moment, brilliant, lovely, uh, enjoy it, it's great. But I am becoming of a certain age in about two years' time. <laughs> so I thought to myself, look, I don't, I can't imagine doing myself doing graphic design still when I'm, I don't know, mid-50s, 60s, that kind of thing. But if I'm going to have to work still till I'm 65 or more, you know, and even more now probably, I kind of thought I want there to be a something else that I can do. So I hit upon this idea of, of kind of working outdoors, you know, rangery, countryside management kind of stuff. Cool. So I thought, right, I so I, you know, did lots of research with the National Trust and places like that. And basically the minimum qualification that they require is a level two in some appropriate relevant topic so I found this level two at this college in Bristol so as part of the course I had to do 150 hours of volunteering in something relevant so I thought well the quickest way to do the 150 hours is to just dedicate a day a week to it and then you know because that's seven hours a week so I started that one November and then by about June the next year you know I'd done 150 hours so I thought to myself okay I can sort of knock that on the head now and then the thought of not going there every Friday and playing on tractors was <laughs> was devastating. So I so I just thought I'm just going to keep doing it because it's it's really enjoyable and it works really well as a mindfulness kind of day. You know, if you've had a really stressful mm. week sitting in front of a computer all day, every day, Monday to Thursday, so it's the day of the week that I look forward to. I think right, I'm just I can just go out and spend seven hours outdoors. You know, and there's an element of teamwork there as well. So I'm working with other people, which is good, you know. Um, and because it's a, you know, they've got a large collection of sort of birds there. So you kind of, you might get to help feed the swans and stuff. And there's there's like flamingos wandering about. And it's it's just, it's an amazing place. So yeah, mindfulness day and getting your hands dirty and driving tractors. It's just brilliant. So I love this so much. And also, for, for you know, for a year, I'd managed to do four days work a week and it didn't have any impact on 
you know, on income, all that kind of thing. The income was, you know, pretty much about the same. And I told all the clients that that's what I do every Friday, and they were, you know, quite like you are, like, oh, that sounds brilliant, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so it, it just worked out, and I just couldn't bear to stop to the thought of stopping doing it. My wife can tell, you know, I come home on a Friday covered in mud, literally, <laughs> you know, from head to toe sometimes, if it's a wet, sort of wintry kind of day. But, you know, I'm sort of, my face is kind of beaming, you know. It's, um, yeah, I love it. And it's, and also you come back and your your whole body is aching because you'll have been, you know, shifting and lifting and stuff and using quite heavy tools or, you know, that kind of thing. And you come home and you, you sort of physically ache. But you know that thing where it's like a really good ache? It's a positive yeah. ache. Well, I say yeah, so, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I don't do it. Well, you <laughs> no, know, I do know where, what you mean. That thing where you've been out in the garden and you've dug a hole <laughs> yes. or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I love it. So, you know, so I'm going to tr- still try and progress, still try and do that. Good for you. Okay, now, Christian, I always do this thing. What else for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie? Let me Ooh. figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Oh, I like this bit. Yes, okay. So, okay, so fact one is I once changed the wheel on a jet fighter aircraft. (laughs) Fact two is I once had to be rescued by a member of the public after I went tombstoning off a harbour wall in North Devon. And then fact three is I once went skiing with Keith Chegwin. Okay, right. <laughs> now, uh, I was about to say we have to explain what tombstoning is, but we'll also have to explain what Keith Chegwin is. So yeah. but let's start with tombstoning. For for people who don't know what tombstone... So it's basically sort of, you know, jumping off of something like a harbour wall or a cliff at fairly great height into the sea. It's stupid is what it is, isn't it? So it's dangerous... It's dangerous and stupid and, you know, you're supposed to sort of keep your body as straight as possible so you sort of enter the water without damaging yourself. But what happened that you needed to be rescued? Well, I've not done it a lot, but, you know, saw, you know, it was that balmy summer day and you kind of think, oh, this is quite inviting. Other other kids younger than me doing it, obviously. I was so like, how old were you? I, was, um, I think I was in my like early 40s. <laughs> You know, and then there was other like young teenage lads doing it, and obviously doing it. I thought you were going to say fourteen. You were in your early forties. Yeah, because we, you know, oh we go down to North God. Devon and stuff quite a lot. Um, you know, camping and. So you're in your early forties. You've got kids. Oh yeah. And I thought <laughs> this is a good idea. Yeah, because my kids didn't want to do it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have a go at this. No. Um, and basically, you know, I've not done this a lot. So I think so. I kind of jumped, and then somehow I must my instead of staying straight, my body kind of slightly rotated in midair somehow, and I just kind of hit the the water with a slap rather than a, a perfect. Well, like a belly flop. Yeah, not quite, but yeah, I could oh basically my. winded myself as a you know yeah, I went yeah. in, and then because I'd winded myself, I kind of came up and was like suddenly forgot how to swim and that kind of thing. So yeah, so somebody a lot younger than me had to kind of help me to the back to the beach <laughs> it's so mass- massively embarrassing i mean it sounds ridiculous but it does sound true as well right we do have to explain so keith chegwin is uh well let's just say he's a minor or he was i think he's passed away yeah, now, he's passed away, but yeah. a minor 
wacky TV celebrity, mm. but to be fair, who had a career for years and years and yeah. years, but c- c- kind of eccentric mm-hmm. character. So what what did you do with him? Well, so, well, um, skiing. So basically, I don't know how old you are, Steve. You're, almost, you're probably younger than me, but... Do you remember a, a Saturday morning TV programme called Saturday Superstore? Yeah. Okay, so that was hosted by DJ Mike Reed, and they used to send Keith Chegwin off every week. He was like the out, outside broadcast roving reporter type guy, so they used to send him out to a different town or city or whatever each week to do his broadcast from. So he'd have like a group of kids around him, and you know. So, yeah. so for some bizarre reason, he came to our fairly dowdy depressing northern town of which this northern town had you know no redeeming features apart from this dry ski slope <laughs> and even that was fairly depressing you know it was like shrouded in mist but at the time I was having ski lessons on a Saturday morning <laughs> you know most other kids are sort of playing football on a Saturday morning and this is, this is going to sound really middle class but I was like I was having ski lessons darling um <laughs> So the ski instructor basically phoned round all the parents a couple of weeks before and said, you know, everyone that's having ski lessons, can you all pile down to the ski slope on this Saturday morning? Because we've got Keith Chegwin coming. So he basically came with the film crew um, and we all had to sort of, you know, do a, a few rounds of sort of skiing down the slope with him. Live on TV? Yeah, live on TV. So I, I did appear on TV very briefly, like a split second, just skiing past the camera. Did you have, at the time, because bearing in mind when this was, did you have like a VHS recorder in order to record your live TV appearance? Yeah. Or was it I gone did. in a... No, I used to have it on VHS cassette. I don't have it now. I don't know what happened to it. Oh, but yeah, I did, yeah, I did used to have it. Come on, YouTube. Have you looked YouTube, Checkers, Dry Ski Slope? Maybe I should, yeah. Maybe I should have. Mm. But yeah. Unless, of course, it's a lie. Lost... Unless you're just trying to seem all glamorous with your Keith Chegwin story. Yeah. Right, you changed the wheel on a jet fighter yeah so this was when i was a lot younger so at school i was a member of the raf cadets and every summer we used to have a summer camp this particular summer we were based at this raf base that had a squadron of fighter jets and we spent an afternoon basically with the engineering guys uh, helping them out so well you know i helped change a wheel so we basically had to jack this fighter jet up um so a jack under the nose one under each wing and one on the back jack it up yeah. and then where, yeah. where 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 do they keep the wheel do they have like a boot <laughs> yeah there's, they... there's a little flap <laughs> just a spare at the back yeah underneath a deck chair and yeah. a warning sign exactly. all of these sound true <laughs> the Keith Chegwin one had so much colour to it, but that sounds true. And it sounds bizarre to have made that up if that's not true. I want that to be true. The tombstoning mm. just sounds so utterly reckless <laughs> that, <laughs> that I'm almost disappointed in you, Christian. It was. If that is true. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when we're in our 40s, we want to pretend to ourselves that we're not old mm, and therefore yeah, yeah so maybe that is but for jet fighter i i mean i don't know the if you were in the raf cadets that sounds totally plausible but there was less 
passion in your voice. Now, is that because you're a good liar or a bad one? Oh, God. Okay. No, the jet. The jet fight is the lie. No, the tombstoning is the lie. Ah! Almost. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're not the idiot who did the tombstoning. Or you're going to say, no, I did it, but I was fine. Oh, God, no, I would never do that kind of thing. I'm I'm quite... I'm really good in the water, but I'm terrified of... Well, kind of terrified of heights, you know, even if it's not a very high harbour wall. You know, I wouldn't have gone off the top diving board. You totally lulled me into thinking you could be that stupid. Uh, So anyway, I can't decide whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for you. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I would say to get on with it sooner than I did. (laughs) Because I kind of, you know, I dallied around, you know, by going freelance a couple of times and then getting, you know, sucked back into a full-time job. And, you know, I didn't start this business till 2013. So I was already, so I was 40 in 2012. So it took, you know, it took that amount of time, you know. And I'm not bothered about age because I look quite young. But um, now that I'm doing it, I wish I'd done it, I don't know, five, ten years earlier or something. Um so I'd say if you're even slightly contemplating doing it, then do it. Christian, it's really great to chat to you and to hear your story because Christian's a member of the Being Freelance community. You should come join us, by the way. Click on beingfreelance.com, click through to the community. So I see Christian in there, but to hear your story and uh, and everything has been a, yeah, a real treat. Go to beingfreelance.com. There'll be links through so that you can see Christian's website. Find him on social. Say hi, of course, as well. And while you're there, check out the articles, the video, and like I said, click through to the community to boot. Also, if you're a freelancing parent like myself, like Christian, don't forget the other podcast I do. Hey, nominated for Best Business Podcast at the British Podcast Awards is Doing It For The Kids. So make sure you listen for that as well. Um, Just search for Doing It For The Kids wherever you get your podcasts and you will find it. Me and Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids community. But for now, Christian, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you, Steve. Good to talk to you. 